Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Good morning, Gateway. I'm excited to kind of close up and wrap up this series that we have been doing over the past four weeks. And as Bart mentioned earlier, uh, we've been discussing, if you've been here, you know. If not, I'm just going to kind of share a quick little background. We've been discussing what to do when you mess up. So if you're here this morning and you would say, yes, I have messed up in my life, then this message and these messages are for you. So I think most of us would say, yes, we've messed up. We've done things uh, wrong. We've made mistakes. Uh, We've kind of been pinpointing when we mess up towards other people. Um, The idea of when we've wronged someone else or maybe when we've held bitterness in our hearts or judgment in our hearts or when we have uh, relationally wronged someone else through what we've done, what we've said, or what we've thought. Um, And so last week, Bart shared about reconciling with those people. And so we've gone through this process, this, this biblical, these biblical principles that we believe if you follow these principles, it will lead you to the place God wants you to be on the end, on the other side of your mess up. And really today, it really doesn't have to be a relational wrong towards someone else, even though most sin, most mistakes are that. This really can apply to anything in your life in the past that is continuing to haunt you today in the present. Um, Usually that is a mistake or a mess up or a worry or or something that's happened in your past that now you continue to hold on to. And God's desire for you in that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is the word that we're using today, rest. To be able to rest from that which you have done or experienced, or messed up in. So when I think of the word rest, uh, the first thing that I think of is two distinct memories that I have in the past. Uh, If you don't know, we adopted a child from China about seven or so years ago, and we had three other kids at the time. And I I vividly remember uh, when we brought uh, her home, and there was at some point really early on, one of the first couple of days, uh, I was sitting there on the couch or in one of the the chairs in our living room, and all four of our kids were in the room. Um, They were all being wild and crazy and lots of energy. And I remember sitting there thinking like, oh my goodness, what have we done? We now have four kids. They outnumber us two to one. Wow. We are never going to experience rest in this house ever again. Uh, Because there's at least going to be one that's always going to be needing something from us, right? So that's the first memory I have of this. I don't know if we're ever going to rest again. Um, and then the second memory was uh, kind of the opposite happened is probably a few years ago, um, once we had moved to Columbia, we were here, and Lauren, my wife, and I were on the couch in the living room and for like an hour, we were just there hanging out, doing whatever we were doing. I can't remember. And I realized that we had been sitting there for over an hour and no kid had been in the room at all for an hour. And I was like, we just had an hour of rest 
And it was the first realization that, oh, our kids have grown up a little bit. They, they don't need us every minute of every day. If they want a snack or get drink or water, they can go do that. They can play with each other. It's not constantly coming to us. And I was like, wow, we got to rest for an hour without kids all right around us the whole time. Um, now we're fostering two two-year-olds, so the rest is missing us again. We've lost that again, but it's great. Um, but that's like a physical rest, right? That's a, a time to just be able to sit and just have peace for a moment. And so this morning, when, when we say rest, we're not necessarily talking about a physical rest like that. We're talking more of a spiritual rest, but there's a lot of similarities, right? And, and that physical rest is the moment where you can just have peace for a minute. And the spiritual rest is, is very similar. It's, it's spiritually being at peace with, with where you are, you know, and who you are in Christ. Um, and what happens a lot of times is we mess up, we make mistakes, we, we commit sins in our lives, or we have these things that we have done, and, and we carry them on with us into the future and these sins, and Satan loves to do this, to haunt us with these sins. They almost kind of shackle us to the past for the moment that when we think of our spiritual lives, we, can't, we, don't, we don't think in terms of peace. We think in terms of guilt or shame. That spiritually, we think about when, when we're thinking about our relationship with God, we're always bringing back up these mistakes are these sins, are these relational mess-ups that we've had in the past so that we can't truly be at peace with God and at rest in our spiritual lives and in our faith. And we believe, as, as the Bible teaches, um, that that's where God wants us to be. You know, in Matthew 11, you know, 28 through 30, you know, we, Jesus says, my, my yoke is, is uh, my... my the, if your burden is heavy, right, the yoke is light, and I come that you may have rest. Come ye who are heavy laden, and I will bring you rest. I should have looked it up. <laughs> but, um, but we know that verse. That's a very similar verse that Jesus is, is, is telling his followers that, hey, I have come so that you can experience rest in your life, especially spiritually, and so we believe that that's the last biblical step when it comes to our mess-ups, when it comes to, to our mistakes and the sins that are in our life. Once we have recognized, Nick talked about that a few weeks ago, once we've recognized that, that yes, I have made a mistake, yes, I have sinned, yes, I am in the wrong, and then we take that and we repent of that. We change our mind and heart about our sin where we move from saying, I'm okay with this sin to I'm not okay any longer with this sin and I want to do the right thing. And then as Bart talked about last week, if it's against someone else, a relational sin towards someone, we go and we do whatever we can to be at peace with that person by reconciling with them, we believe there's one final important step to take, and that is forgiving ourselves of what we have done wrong. It's the rest that we can find in God and what, through what Jesus has done. This is a very interesting step as I was preparing and thinking and praying through this because the other steps that we took and we talked about were, were action steps, right? They were, they were actions that you can take. You can, you can, in your mind, say, okay, yes, I messed up. 
I did that. You can, in your mind, come to God and say, God, change my heart towards what I've done and change my actions and my deeds. And you can go to other people and you can ask them for forgiveness and reconcile with them. But in this step, it's, it's almost like you can't tell your heart, heart, be at peace with what you've done. You can't just like mentally say that to your heart and it happens in your heart, right? There's no easy action to take, I believe, to be at rest in God's grace and God's forgiveness. Um, it's, 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 reality is that, that we have a hard time believing God when, when he tells us that we're, we're forgiven. When he says that, hey, I have removed that sin as far as the east is from the West, that you don't need to dwell on that any longer, that you can move on from it. This morning, uh, all of the the teenagers were were sitting over here in this section over here. Uh, They had a big staycation weekend, and we kind of recognized them and gave a, a, a note of gratitude and appreciation to all the volunteers and adults that hung out with them all weekend. So if you're a parent, uh, send a little text, send something to these, these volunteer leaders that have been hanging out with your kids all weekend. They did an amazing job. We had 11 teenage girls at our house last night. Uh, they got there about 9.30, so I went to sleep at like 8.45 just to, I was like, y'all have fun. Lauren, you take care of it. No, but um, I, I mentioned that because I asked them a question in the first service. I can't really ask them, but if you're a teenager in here, I can ask you. And the question I asked was what point was it when you recognized that your parents weren't always right? Because we have a, we have a, we have a ninth grade girl in our house, um, Lucy, our oldest, and she's, she's figured it out. Like she knows that, that Lauren and I are wrong sometimes. She knows even that we do the wrong thing sometimes. Um, and our younger kids don't really know that yet. They haven't recognized that yet. So we'll be sitting around the, the dining room table or doing something together as a family. And a, one of the kids will ask a question. And as parents, we like to have the answers, right? Even if we don't know the answers, we're going to try to make it seem like we have the answer to it. And it works for all of our kids, except for our oldest, Lucy. And so they'll ask a question and we'll give an answer that we think is right. And all of them will be like, oh, okay. But then you see Lucy like making that face like, uh, I don't think I believe that. And, and as a teenager, teenagers start to do that, which I think is a natural uh, you know, progression of them becoming their own people, thinking for themselves, learning uh, to, to really accept truth for their, themselves, which is a great thing. But uh, you know, now she says, I think I'm going to Google that. You know, that's, that's, they can all Google it now. They know if you're wrong or not. Um, but I say that, and I was asking them that question because I feel like it happens with us and God a lot of times in that God will say something, and we will look at him and say, I don't know if I believe that. Or we'll say we believe it, but in practice, day in and day out, we don't actually live it out. So in, experientially, we don't really believe it. It makes sense for teenagers to do it to us because we don't know everything, right? We aren't perfect. We are flawed as parents. We do mess up. And honestly, Lucy's usually right when she, when she is saying, ah, I don't think I believe that. Or, Dad, why did you roll through that stop sign and not stop? Uh, it's, okay, it's okay with that one, Lucy. No, she, she picks up on the things that, hey, you guys aren't perfect, but God is perfect. And God is always right. And God is always true. 
So it makes sense for our teens to question us, but it doesn't make sense for us to question God because we know who God is and what God has done. But the issue comes with rest. When God tells us, you are forgiven, your sins have been removed, your past is in the past, we've forgotten, we've moved from that, I've moved you past that, and now you're growing as a Christian into more like Christ. There's no reason to dwell on that past, and God speaks that to every single one of us, but daily in our lives, we live as if God is still bringing our past back up, and we can't get away from it, and our past kind of shackles us and hurts us for the future. And it's all usually because we aren't believing what God has said. How do you fix that? How do you rest in the truths that God has given you so that your past truly is your past and you can believe it when God has said you have been forgiven from all of your mess ups? There's no easy way. I believe the way you have to do it is you have to constantly dwell on the character of God and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. The more time you spend thinking about the things you've done in the past, the more it's going to hold you back to the past and bring you down and keep you from the future. But if you replace that time that you're thinking about the past with thinking about the glory of God and the beauty of God and who God says he is and who he shows us to be in scripture and thinking about what Jesus has done and worshiping him for what he has done on the cross for our sin, then that takes the place of our dwelling on the past. And now we have a hope for the future in Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, however you access God's Word, you can turn to 1 John. It's also going to be on the screen. And in 1 John, we're going to look at this, this reality of sin that, that we do mess up, we do make mistakes, but when we do mess up, what we do is we rest in God's character and we rest in the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross. And the more that we can glory in God and what Jesus has done, the more we can move on from our past and rest in our faith. So let's start in um, John, 1 John 1. I'm really gonna start with verse five. I think, I think I told them on the screens that I was starting in eight, but sorry, I lied to you guys. That was a mess up. Um, I recognize my mistake on that. But we're gonna start in five. We're gonna start with five and we're gonna read from 1 John 1, uh, 5 through 2, 6. And I'm gonna stop along the way. This is what 1 John says. Of course, John, the disciple of Jesus, the one that Jesus loved, was very close with Jesus. And so he knew uh, Jesus very well. And this is what John says. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I wanna read verse eight. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. I love these verses because it speaks to the, the paradox that we find ourselves in 
as a Christian. You know, a paradox is a seemingly something that's contradictory, that, but that isn't actually contradictory. And this paradox is that as Christians, we are called and we are expected not to sin, not to mess up, to live as Jesus lived, holy lives. But at the same time, as you read this in 1 John, first he just says that if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So he says in verse six, if we are, we are lying, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in sin and spiritual darkness. And then right after that, in verse eight, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. It seems like he's contradicting himself that he's saying, if you say you love God, but you sin, then you're lying. But if you say that you don't have sin, then you're lying. So John, which one is it? And John is recognizing this paradox of the human nature, our sinful, stain, sin-stained hearts, the, the issue with the fallen world that we live in as Jesus continues to grow us. And as Pastor Don has been talking about in Romans, he sanctifies us. He makes us more and more like Jesus, that even though we are going to becoming more and more like Christ, this sin-stained heart and this fallen world continues to pull us the other direction. And until we are in glory in heaven with perfect bodies and perfect hearts, we are always going to have the tendency to, to, to sin, to mess up, to make mistakes. And so for the rest of our lives, from age zero to age and to glory, basically, we are going to have this paradox. We are going to be striving to live like Jesus, holy and perfect lives, but we're going to mess up and we're going to sin. And that's what John is saying, that if you claim you never mess up, if you never recognize that responsibility, like we talked about a few weeks ago, you're lying to yourself. You mess up. I mess up, we all mess up. But if we continue to say, well, I mess up, so I'm gonna live that way, then we're not following Jesus at all. So this is what John says. When you mess up, this is what you can rest in. We're gonna look at two things. We're gonna look at God's character and we're gonna look at Jesus' sacrifice because I believe the spiritual rest that I'm talking about this morning is an internal peace that's based on God's character and it's based on Jesus' sacrifice. Just like when uh, we finally got to just sit in our living room and just breathe, there's a spiritual peace that we have when we know that our sins have been forgiven, that our past does not dictate our future, that Jesus on the cross paid for our sin once and for all, and that God sees us as his sons and daughters. And John speaks to that. So let's continue on. Verse nine is where we left off. John says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So, first, so John first is saying this, is, is saying, don't pretend like you don't sin. 
Don't shift your blame to other people. Don't explain away your sin that circumstances dictated that it was okay for you to do this to another person. Don't explain it away. Recognize your responsibility. Accept the fact that we are fallen creatures who are trying to strive to be like Jesus, but there is sin in our hearts and we do mess up and God wants us to quickly recognize when we do and say, yep, that was me. That was my bad. Because what John says is that when we do that, we can rest in God's character. Verse number eight, nine, but if we confess our sins to him, God is faithful and God is just and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. There's four things in that one easy, short, quick um, sentence that John gives us to help us rest in the fact that we are forgiven and that we don't have to dwell on our past. God is faithful, which means God will do what he says he will do. God has always done what he said he's going to do, and he will always do in the future what he says he will do. And in the present, whatever God has said is true right now. And so God says we are forgiven. Psalm 103, when, when it says, as far as the east is from the west, your transgressions have been removed from you. If that is true then, it's true now. It will always be true. The fact that God is faithful means that our sins are forgiven and our past is in our past. God is just. That means God always does what is right. And so when Jesus died on the cross for our sin and paved a path for forgiveness, when he died for the sins of the world, our sin debt, our punishment was covered by Jesus on the cross. It's done. It's paid for. God would not be just if he continued to punish us. God would not be just if he continued to hold our sins over us because of what we've done. God is just because Payment was made by Jesus Christ, and now God has forgiven. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I love the fact that God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our wickedness. That tells me that God loves us so much, he forgives us, so he takes us where we are, but he loves us too much to just leave us there. He loves us so much that he's not going to leave us in this place where we continually mess up or we sin or, or we are struggling nonstop. He wants to take us and move us to a better way. He wants to bring us to become more and more and more like Jesus. I was telling the teens uh, this morning, it's just like parents. Like Parents love you so much that they're not just going to let you mess up and then mess up and then mess up and keep doing the same thing and just leave you to do it and figure it out for yourself. They love you too much for that. It's not because they're nagging you or they want to just call you out on all the things you mess up. It's because they love you so much. They don't want you to stay where you are. They want you to, they move you to a better place. And God is the exact same way, but only perfectly. And that he knows the insides of us and he knows our hearts and he knows the struggles we have and he knows the mess ups that we continue to hold on to. And he knows the past, the pieces of the past that are haunting us right now in the present. And he loves us too much to just leave us there. He's faithful and he's just, and he wants to bring us 
to be more and more like Jesus and to help us find rest from those things of the past. And then John continues on because the next part of this is not just God's character, but also because of Jesus's sacrifice. So first John two, one through six talks about how rest can be achieved through Jesus. So let's read this. Two, one, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So let's start right there. John says, hey, I'm writing that you won't sin. Again, there's the paradox. I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to mess up. I don't want you to hurt your, your sister or your brother in Christ. I don't want you to be, to be mean towards someone else. I don't want you to har- harbor bitterness or anger towards someone. I don't want you to wrong another person. But if you do, we have an advocate. An advocate is someone who speaks up on our behalf. And it's usually someone who speaks up for someone who is unable to do it themselves. And so we have Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of God and his death on the cross and the fact that he made payment for the sins of the entire world is there. He's right there at the right hand of God, reminding God the Father constantly, consistently that, hey, the sins of the world are paid for. And so he pleads our case personally. When I mess up, Jesus says, God, I got that covered. When I wronged someone, Jesus says, God, I I got that covered. When I do something that dishonors God, Jesus says, I got that covered. And you're the same. We have an advocate. The next thing, number verse two, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all of the world. We have an advocate who can speak on our behalf because of what he did for us. Because he came as one of us, because he lived a perfect life, because he was able to get into the muck and the mire of this world and to see who we are and to experience what we experience, he knows us intimately. And he saw the worst of us as he was beaten as he was persecuted, as he was hung on a cross to die. But Jesus died for us still. And he rose again three days later in power for God to say the sacrifice has been accepted. He is a sacrifice for our sins. And then verse three, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, the person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So the last two that I see here is that Jesus, Jesus is our friend. Like this is John. This is the disciple that Jesus loved, one of the closest people to Jesus. And he says, hey, you know what? I obey God's commands because I know Jesus. 
I follow God because I know Jesus. And if we truly know Jesus, we will want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which is the last one, that Jesus is our example. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. When, God, when Jesus came to this earth, he came in one part so that we could see who God is because Jesus is God in the flesh. And so when we ask the question, well, who really is God? I can't see him. I can't really know everything about him. The scripture says, look to Jesus. See what, how Jesus lived. Live that way. You want to reflect God in your life? Just live the way that Jesus lived. And so he is our example. And so rest from our mess ups. It happens when we recognize, when we truly believe, when we live in the forgiveness that God has purchased for us on the cross through Jesus. If we truly believe with all of our heart that God is faithful and that God is just, that he will forgive and he does forgive and he has forgiven, and then he'll continue to cleanse us for the future and that he will continue to grow us to be more like Jesus. And he does all of these things because of what Jesus did on the cross, because Jesus is our advocate and our sacrifice. When we take all of that, we realize that what we're really talking about is just the gospel. And what we've really been talking about the past four weeks is just the gospel. The way you fix your mess ups is the same way that God fixed our mess-ups through Jesus. And the way you fix your mess-ups with other people is the same way that you came to God repenting of your sin and recognizing your need for him when you came to Jesus that first time. Because what have we been talking about? The first thing we've been talking about recognizing. You recognize that you've hurt someone. You recognize that you've messed up. What does God call us to do first? Recognize our sin. Confess our sin. Repent. What does God call us to do next through the gospel? To repent of our sin, to change our minds and our hearts about who Jesus is. Maybe we didn't know that Jesus was the son of God, but now we believe that Jesus is the son of God. Maybe we were okay in our sin before, but now we recognize that sin is disobedience and dishonoring to God, so I no longer want to live in sin. We repent of our sin, just like we do when we mess up towards someone else. And then we reconcile. When we mess up, when we hurt someone else, when we wrong someone, we reconcile with them. But as Bart read last week, in our sin, God sent Jesus so he could reconcile with us. And so this spiritual rest just comes from understanding the gospel, the simple truths that Jesus died for us, for our sins past, our sins present, our sin's future. And then when you get a notion in your mind and when you start to dwell on the things that you've done in the past and those hold you back in the present or in the future, you recognize that those are the things from the enemy. Those are lies. There is no guilt or shame of your past any longer in Jesus because Jesus has died for that. And God is faithful and just to move you on from that, to remove that from you. It just, what, it, what it 
says to me, and this is kind of where I want to end up, is that when we don't do that, what we're really doing is calling God a liar. When we continue to dwell on our past, what we're saying to God is, God, you say I'm forgiven, but I don't believe it. And we may say it in our minds, I believe it, but we're not living it day in and day out. And even worse, what it really means, even more than that, is we are putting ourselves in God's place and knocking God off his throne so that we can sit there. And I say that because when God says you are forgiven, your past is in the past, you have a future. But when we don't allow that in our lives, what we are saying to God is, yeah, God, you say I'm forgiven, but I haven't forgiven myself yet. And what I say about myself is more important than what you say about myself. So I'm gonna listen to me instead of you. And essentially we're putting ourselves on the throne that only God should be sitting on. And so I think what God is saying to us this morning, and, in, and if, if you struggle with this and letting your past dictate your future, letting your mess ups just continue to haunt you, I would ask you to pray to God to help him be on the throne of your life and in your heart, to knock yourself out of that position, to believe what God says about you instead of what you say about you and what the enemy hints about you. Because scripture is clear and the truth is the truth, whether we believe it or not. Jesus has died for our sin, past, present, future. And we can always rest in that and it can always give us hope in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. We thank you that you are faithful and you are just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we read this morning, if we confess our sins, you will do that. And anyone who tells us differently is a liar. And sometimes, God, we lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves we're not forgiven. We tell ourselves we still have to make up for it somehow. We tell ourselves we're not qualified or we're not clean enough to serve you or we're not good enough. Whatever it may be, they're lies. Because your word says, you have forgiven us. And we know you have because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus' death made a way for our life. And I God, I God, I just pray we would take the gospel with us every single day. In our mess ups, we can recognize we can repent, we can reconcile, and we can be done with it because you have forgiven us. So God, this morning, I pray we just examine our hearts and ask the question, where are we not believing your truth? Where are we holding on to things that you got rid of and let go of a long, long time ago? Where do we need to continue to recognize responsibility in our mess ups, to repent of those things, 
to reconcile with others. And most importantly, rest in the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Help us to always keep the gospel on the forefronts of our minds and our hearts, not our past, not our mistakes, not circumstances here in this world. Help our eyes and our hearts to always be on Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.